Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. Um, we are in a series that we are calling Homeworkers, we've, where we've been uh, kind of identifying the multiple threats facing our families today. Last week, we talked about the lack of knowledge. The scripture says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge, specifically a lack of knowledge about God, about parenting, and about the expectations of marriage. And so in the absence of truth, what, tend, what do we tend to do? We tend to make things up. And, and the judgment of the Lord is seen in him saying, when we do that, he says, okay, you, you, you would rather, rather than having 6,000 years of biblical history, now you push that aside for the opinion of the day. <laughs> he says, okay, okay. If you're going to reject the knowledge of the Lord, I'll let you listen to each other. I'll let you listen to um, football players and social elites and your Tide Pod-eating friends, <laughs> all of which are woefully wrong, but you're going to listen to them. And so it's not only a lack of knowledge that kind of hits us and our families like a wrecking ball, it's the one that we're talking about today, it's the lack of commitment. I could have called this one, how big is your butt, right? That, I, I've done a message on that before, how big is your but because the bigger and more varied the but just simply shows, really, it's a lack of commitment. It's a lack of commitment to what is expected of you. Now, everyone here has a varying situations and circumstances. Some are married, some are single, and some are younger and older. Some have children, some don't. But what we all have in common is we're all part of a family somewhere, Right? You didn't just materialize out of nowhere. You came from a family unit, whether it's a close-knit family like, who, who remembers the little house on the prairie? That little show, yeah, those of us who are older, we remember that. Close little family-knit unit like that. Or your family puts the dis in dysfunctional, like maybe the Simpsons or the Bundys or the so-called modern family of today. But it's still a family. And I think one of the things that most determines where on that paradigm you fall is this issue of commitment or the lack thereof. For too many people in our country, what they think is commitment, it's not a biblical commitment at all. It's, it's become a commitment of convenience, a commitment of convenience. That's to say, I'll stick with things as long as it's convenient and it works for me. But the moment it stops being convenient, and it becomes a little difficult or even sacrificial, well, it's no longer in my best interest, so I'm no longer committed. It's like the story we've heard about the pig and the chicken. I mentioned this before. A pig and a chicken are walking down the road. The chicken says to the, says to the pig, hey, pig, I was thinking we should open a restaurant. And the pig, and the pig replies, hmm, maybe. What, what will we call it? And the chicken says, well, how about ham and eggs? And the pig thinks about it for a moment. He says, nah, I don't think so. Well, why not? Well, I'd be committed, but you'd only be involved. And that's where many people are today. 
I'll give the eggs or contribute, if you will, the involvement, but don't ask me to go above and beyond that, a simple involvement. Now, maybe eggs aren't a good example today because we've all seen the cost of eggs. <laughs> Somebody said the eggs cost more than the ham today. But you know what I mean. There's, a, there's no real sacrifice involved. It's a, it's a commitment of convenience in most lives. Unfortunately, that would appear to be the trend in many uh, uh, important relationships, which, and our relationships should be far more valuable than ham and eggs. But when things don't look like they're going to work out, people tend to quit. So a lack of commitment is a problem in our community. Um, we have big butts <laughs> as far as following through. Now, now, I've identified three areas, and the first one is just like the lack of knowledge. It's a lack of commitment, I want you to write this down, to God. A lack of commitment to God, which we know by now, if you've been in any of my messages, that that should be priority number one. Uh, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, then all these things will be added unto you. In the Greek, first means first. In the Hebrew, first means first. In English, in every language, first means first. So he says, if you put me first, I'll meet all your needs. But often, often we don't put them first. It's the area that if we get this right, all other areas tend to fall into place. But if it's a skew, I don't care how many self-help books you read, I don't care how many Oprah Winfrey shows or Dr. Phil episodes you watch, things just don't seem to fall into place. Somebody knows what I'm talking about here, right? Whether it's work or relationships or dealing with your kids or making ends meet, nothing seems to add up. Now, let me just say, apart from a solid and real commitment to God, things aren't going to add up. It's like that old nursery rhyme. You remember when they, the, that nursery rhyme where they go back and they say, there's a hole in the bucket, there, Eliza? You, you remember that one? There's a hole in the bucket, there, Eliza. There, Eliza. And what she say? Then, then fix it, there, Henry. For some of you who don't know, it's, there's two characters, Henry and, and, and Eliza. The song describes a deadlock situation. Henry, has, he's got a leaky bucket. And Eliza tells him, just fix it, repair it. But to fix the bucket, he, he needs straw, and to cut the straw, he needs a knife, and to sharpen the knife, he needs a wet sharpening stone, and to wet the stone, he needs water. However, when Henry asks, how do I get the water? Elijah's answer is, it's in the bucket. And the implication is, it's implied that there's only one bucket available, and that bucket's got a hole in it. It's leaky, and it can't carry water, and so it needs to be repaired first. So when things aren't right with God in the same way, there will always be, listen to me, a hole in your bucket. And it's going to be a big one. Now, some of you experienced that firsthand. No matter what you do, you can't seem to fix the hole in the bucket. No matter what you apply to it, and it keeps going back to the fact that there's a hole in the bucket because there's your relationship with the Lord isn't where it should be. And you're wondering how come other people who don't seem to be as committed to God, they seem to be working it out. And I often, when people say that to me, well, that's not true, and they point to this person that's working out. Who are you talking about? Who are you talking about, Michael Jackson? Did things work out for him? No. Robin Williams? 
one of the, deemed the funniest man on the earth? Suicide? How about Whitney Houston? Did things work out for her? Let's not go to those who've, who've, who've already passed. How about Mariah Carey? Is her life peachy clean? Uh, uh, the Kardashians? How many know that rich people have holes in their buckets too? And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And I'm telling you, listen to me, a hole in your bucket could be a blessing in disguise. Because if it wasn't for the holes in the buckets, in my bucket, in your bucket, you, you would go through this life thinking that you're going to be all right without God. People will do that. Now, I thank God for the holes that God allowed to be in my buckets because it drove me to the living water of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because it's only in Jesus, he, he's the only one that has the ability to patch those leaks and heal the brokenness in our hearts. Only Jesus is, a, is able to provide all of our needs, our spiritual needs, our emotional needs, our physical needs, and yes, even our financial needs. And to have a real commitment to God and not just one of convenience means that you become a person of faith. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that you, you just show up to church every now and then and maybe throw a little bit in the bucket from time to time or tune in online once in a while along those lines? You say, well, Pastor Rick, I've showed up. I made my commitment. I've dropped something in the offering plate. I promise you there's more to it than just that. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter. It outlines for us what the people of faith or those committed to God were able to accomplish by doing things God's way. Hebrews chapter 11, read it when you get a chance. And quite frankly, sometimes God's ways, how many of you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sometimes, and he doesn't explain it. He just says, I want you to do it this way. He expects you to follow it. Uh, me, 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 some of you heard my testimony about how I ended up in the ministry and, and the miraculous way that he did it for me. It didn't make sense on paper to do it that way. But we see that through all scripture. Imagine, you remember Moses, you know, leading the, the children of Israel and he finally dies. And then Joshua steps into his plate, and they've been wandering the desert for years, and, and now all of a sudden Moses dies, and, they, and they've been out there for years, and they get the go-ahead to, to cross the Jordan and now to take on the biggest and baddest city on the block. And the word of the Lord comes to you saying, I'm going to give you that city, that, that walled, uh, fortified city. And, and, and I imagine that Joshua said, cool, God, should we build a giant battering ram with some cool weapon? No. Nope. Just quietly march around the city. What? Okay, wait, wait, wait. once we march around it, then, then we storm the gates with grappling hooks and tall catapults and light the place on fire. No. I, I want you to march around the city not just once but five more times. Oh, quietly. What? Okay, then I'll put, put our best fighters out front to lead so, so as soon as you give us the go-ahead, we can attack. No. I want you to lead with the band. <laughs> Bring the worship team out there. Oh, by the way, I don't want them to say nothing for the first seven days. Just march around it and then march around it seven more times. And then on the last day, I want them to blow the trumpets and give a shout. What? That's what you want us to do? 
And that's exactly what God wanted them to do because on that seventh day they blew the trumpet. The Bible says Jesus or God, God and his angels tore those walls down. Amen? And that's where the victory came. He set it up that, that he was the only one that's going to get glory, but they were going to get the, the, the benefits of following his way. You see, sometimes God's ways doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's going to give us the results and the victories that we need. And until we settle that, we, until we settle that, that we are committed to, to doing things God's ways, we're, we're always going to have issues. You're not going to be the husband or the father that you're called to be until you decide I'm going to do things God's way. You're not going to be the wife or the mother or the sister or the brother or the cousins or the friend that, that God wants you to be until you decide or you settle on the relationship that it's not just going to be a, a relationship of convenience, but I'm going to be committed even if it doesn't make sense to me. Now, before you say amen, I'm going to give some examples. <laughs> okay? Now, how important is a full commitment to God? 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, Therefore, we are, all, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and will prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Verse 9. So we make it our goal to do what? Please. To please who? Who is him? Talk, say someone say God. Say the Lord. Say Jesus. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all, and then he tells us why. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Please hear what I'm saying. The, Lord, the Bible makes it very clear that there is a judge. And no, it's not the Supreme Court. <laughs> There's a higher court than the Supreme Court. Come on, somebody. There's a higher entity than that. It says we will all stand. It says Jesus is the judge, will be the judge of the living and the dead. And so Paul is stating to the Corinthian church, he's writing this letter to the church, and he's telling them, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, listen to me. If we're going to be judged by God's standards, do you think it's a good idea that we should know his standards? I mean, I do. Okay. I just need to know the rules. When I go into a game, <laughs> I need to know the rules. When I first, when my mama took me first to start playing uh, 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 peewee uh, baseball, and the first time I'm up there, I hit that thing, and, 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 and the new kids that don't know the, the rules, they start running up third base first. Come on, somebody. How many of you know that's a problem? Then everybody on the sidelines saying, that's no, no, run the other way. Because you're supposed to run the first base first, right? And go around that way. We need to know what the rules are and what his standards are. Before you get married, we should know and be committed to doing what God says concerning marriage. Husbands, this is what God says. He says, husbands, love your wives. Can I get an amen? But then he tells us how to love her. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 
That's beautiful. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and gave himself for it. How did Christ love the church? He loved the church to death. He was willing to lay down his life for the church. And so, and, and, and so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, Paul points to the husbands and he says, this is how God expects you to love your wives. Be willing to lay down your life for her. And all the ladies said, amen. She said, Pastor Rick, he laid down his life. I can't even get him to take the garbage out for me. Do a dish for me. Come on, somebody. But that's what he says. But guess what? He, the, the instructions didn't just leave, just end at the husbands. The ladies, you out there? Said, wives, submit to and respect your husbands. Now it's getting quiet in here. I respect him when he earns my respect. No, it doesn't say that. It says respect him, and he says, and do it as unto the Lord. In other words, treat him the way you would treat Jesus. Would you cuss out Jesus? Come on, somebody. I'm just putting him in, my, in his place. Would you do all that to Jesus? If you wouldn't do it to Jesus, don't do it to your husband. Before we have kids, we should know all of what God expects us to do with our children that he gives us. He says to train them up in the way they should go. And he says, and I expect you to raise godly children. How many know you can't raise godly children if you ain't even telling them about the Bible or exposing them to the things of the Lord, bringing them to church. You see, when we choose not to be committed to doing things God's ways, it's like bringing a wrecking ball into your situation, into your circumstances. Why isn't my marriage working? Why are these kids all out of control? Why is this, why is that? Go back to the manual and read what God says on that situation, even in terms of walking in forgiveness and grace and mercy. Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, he said, Teach, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? This is the most important one. Teacher, I want to know what's the most important thing that Moses came back with. Jesus didn't even hesitate. Jesus replied, You must Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Give God everything. So a commitment to God is essential to ourselves and to our families. Amen? But secondly, it's not just a commitment to God that we lack. We lack a commitment oftentimes to grow. Write that down. Now, again, if I ask how many want to be a better husband or wife or parent or son or daughter, I know 99% would say, that's me, Pastor Rick. I want those things for my life, for my family. But how many know there's a vast difference between wanting to be better and being committed to being better or committed to growth? The wanting to be better 
may spend the money to, let's say, buy the guitar. You want to play the guitar, you'll buy the guitar. Or learn another language, so you'll you buy whatever's out there, Babel or Rosetta Stone, whatever the program is, to learn Spanish or Italian or French. But how many know you're still just, you're still just the chicken at this moment? You're still contributing at this point. You're laying a few eggs. The, the commitment, listen to me, true commitment makes the sacrifice. And what does the sacrifice do? The sacrifice actually puts the time in to learn it. Just saying it won't, won't get you there. I know, I know from personal experience, on my bucket list for years has been I'm going to learn Spanish. And I've gone out and I've bought the programs to learn Spanish. But does Pastor Rick know Spanish today? You know why? I'm just being honest. You have to take the time to sit down and go over those programs and to learn it. It's still on my bucket list. But I'm still just contributing. I'm not committed fully yet. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 5 says, so make, help me out somebody, every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then, he says, your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Knowing God leads to, help me somebody? Knowing God leads to what? Self-control. What, what are we lacking in, in our community today, in our cities today? My daughter is a principal at a school, the Mount, a middle school. The amount of craziness that's going on with our youth today is blowing my mind. To, to, to the foolishness that's going on into the bathrooms, to bomb threats, they think it's funny. They lack self-control, self but it tells us in the scripture what, why they lack self-control. Because it says knowing God leads to self-control, and they don't know God. It's been removed from the schools. It's been removed from the homes. And in the, in the absence of God, like I said last week, people do whatever their mind, their foolish mind, tells them to do. It goes on to say self-control leads to patient endurance, and patient endurance leads to godliness, and godliness leads to love for other Christians. And finally, it says you will grow to have genuine love for everyone. And the more you grow like this, the more you will become productive and useful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the more we commit to God and his growth process, the more the Bible says productive and useful we will become to him. But look what it says in verse 5. In verse 5 it says that we need to make every effort. To make every effort. To increase faith and patience and self-control and your knowledge of Christ. We need to put in the effort. Because Jesus Christ his Holy Spirit and his word is the very thing that empowers us to grow and to change. That's why a commitment to grow has to include a commitment to time in his words. We in this area have to get rid of our butts. Our butts. We have to put the time in two ways. Listen to me. 
you have to spend some time in his word on the daily. All right? Uh, you've heard me say this before. If you are too busy for God, you are just too busy. And so I'm not saying you spend all day, but open up the Bible. Either at the beginning of the day, that's probably the best, or sometime in the middle of the day. Take 10 minutes and start reading his word. And I've often said, three people have asked me, oh, how do you read your word? I usually read my word out loud because the Bible says faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. And so I want to hear myself when I read the scripture because I want it to come in and I want it to register. But spend some time in his word on the daily. And the second way is you can go ahead and join a life group. We're jumping into the Bible um, this week. Life group cards where you're registered. The, uh, multiple opportunities. We have on-campus uh, Bible studies going on this week on Wednesday. We have Zoom. So even if those of you are watching online, you can register online, and, and we'll do those Bible studies online. Join in. They're only about an hour, hour, 15 minutes, and start to... Feed your spirit and become more committed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We even have stuff for the young people on Wednesday. Serge, uh, um, Eric and, and his team are doing a fantastic job with the, with the middle and high schoolers. We're here every Wednesday night. Plan on, on, on setting aside some time so that you can grow in the things of the Lord. Now, I want to remind you of what the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Anybody interested in being transformed into a new person? Come on, somebody. I mean, give me, show me some excitement. Are you, are you excited? Then he tells us how. He says, by changing the way you... That's how God changes you. That's how he, he transforms you into a new person. He changes your stinking thinking. He says, then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is for you. I want to know what God's will is. But the way he does it is, is you get into his word, and then you change, it changes the way you think. Now, practically, how does it work? When I got saved, I had all sorts of ideas of, 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 of what I was going to do with my life. Uh, and then all of a sudden, when I read God's word concerning you know, certain areas of my life, it didn't line up with what I was doing. And so I had a choice. I said, okay, Lord, this is what I was doing. This is what me and my friends are doing. But at this point, <laughs> I want to please you. And he changed the way I thought about it. You understand what I'm saying? He will change the way you think about marriage, about relationships, about finances, about how you deal with people. He will change the way you think. And when you change the way he thinks, he says, in that moment, as he starts to change the way you think, can I get a witness? Anybody experience this besides me? Come on, somebody. In that moment when you change the way you think, he says, you will start to, to know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. He starts to reveal his will to you because you're thinking the way he thinks. Oh, come on. The message says it this way. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead... Fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you 
always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. Maturity is another, just another word for growing up. God wants us to grow up spiritually, but there needs to be a commitment to do so. So far, the wrecking balls that we've talked about are a lack of commitment to God, and there's a lack of commitment to grow. But there's one more that I want us to look at this, mo- this, month, this morning. There's a lack of commitment, oftentimes, to each other, to each other. The rest of Jesus' answer to the expert in religious law in Matthew 22, when he was inquired about what's the greatest of the commandment, well, let me just read it. Matthew 22, verse 36, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he didn't stop there. He said a second is equally important. Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says as, the, as we're heading into the last days, the love of many hearts will grow cold. That is a sign of what's going on in our communities because everyone's dividing and they're putting you in the categories. Uh, you're, you're white, you're black, you're Hispanic, you're rich, you're poor, you're from this side of the track, you're that side. And the, the world is trying to get us to hate one another. And Jesus said, this is how they shall know that you are my followers. It's your love for one another. He says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Listen to me. I've often said this before. You know, there's ten commandments. Some of you know it. We've taught them before. Some of you don't know it. But as far as Jesus was concerned, there's really, if you can just remember two, two things. Love God. Someone say, love God. And love people. He says, the fulfillment of all the commandments are in these things. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this this fulfills the commandments of the Lord. When we get the vertical right with God, the horizontal tends to fall in place too because now I'm committed to God. I'm committed to doing things his way. And the most important things to God, listen to me, are people. God's top priorities are not things. He he owns the cattle on the hills. He He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. <laughs> That's what he wants. He wants heaven filled. Everywhere you look in the scripture, what is God trying to do? My humble opinion, when a third of the angels fell from heaven, there's still two-thirds, but there are left vacancies in heaven. And over the, over the thousands of years, that I believe what God is doing, he's replenishing heaven with those who've left. And the people he's replenishing it with is with you. Because Jesus said the same amount. They were trying to trap Jesus in Okay, there's a man that got married, and the Jewish custom says when a man gets married, they don't bear children, and she dies, and it's the responsibility of the, of, the, of the brother to marry that woman and bear children in her brother's name. This happened to like seven, seven brothers. They all died, no children, and they walked, and they said to Jesus, uh, whose wife is she going to be in the afterlife? Now, because they didn't believe there was an afterlife, and Jesus said, you don't understand the scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. You are neither married nor given into marriage. 
when you, go, when you die. He says, but you will become like the angels. Come on, somebody. And so notwithstanding, I don't know why the Mormons totally skip that scripture because in their teaching, they teach <laughs> they're going to end up on some planet somewhere with, with all their multiple wives and their children and all this other stuff. No, you're not married. You're not given in marriage. You're, you'll become like the angels. So my, my belief is that God is replenishing heaven, and he's trying to replenish heaven with you and with me. But if we get this right, this tends to line up. Now, we touched on this last week, Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Didn't God make you one body and one spirit with her? What was his purpose in this? It was that you should have children who are truly God's people, so make sure that none of you breaks his promise to his wife. Verse 16, he says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate it when one, when one of you does such a cruel thing to his wife. Make sure that you do not break your promise to be faithful to your wife. Now listen to me. I know that there are extenuating circumstances as to reasons marriages fall apart or break up, and some of them are legit. Uh, some of them are biblical. But let me tell you something. I, I don't throw stones. But unfortunately, especially in this, in this state and in other states around uh, this country, they call Florida is a no-fault state in terms of divorce. You can divorce the person that, that you're with, even though you took a vow before God to, to be with this person, for any reason, no reason at all. You don't like the fact that they leave the toilet seat up in the middle of the night and you keep falling through. <laughs> you know, they get on my last nerve. Oh, Pastor Rick, we just, we just fell out of love. Listen to me. Biblically, these are not standards for divorce. The Bible says God hates divorce. He hates it. All right? And I just think that we tend to give up on each other way too quickly in our society. And the family of all places should be a place where we don't easily quit on each other. Amen? Amen. Especially in the body of Christ. Especially in the body of Christ. Now, concerning the body of Christ, I'm saying that like, like our biological families, that there are, there are possibly one or two folks in the family that rub you the wrong way or get on your last nerve. And if you're having a hard time figuring out who that is in your family, it's probably you. But that's not reason enough to call it quits on a family member. And maybe God is calling you to a higher commitment rather than to throw in the towel. What God expects us to do is to extend extra grace. Now listen to me. I believe God's going to fill this place up. I believe we're going to go to second and third services. And every now and then when God fills the place up, there's going to be some weird people coming in. I call them EGR. Extra grace required. <laughs> and again, you might be that easier person. <laughs> Listen, but God expects us to pour out his love on them as well. Amen? Because the Bible calls us a family of God. Now, now, we need to start looking at them in the light of God's word and make a decision based on what God says rather than what our own selfish reasonings are. I know this even in my own family, married for 35 years to my beautiful wife, Deborah, right? We've got four grown kids, 
And it definitely wasn't a one-size-fits-all scenario. While growing up, listen to me, they all required a slightly different approach to parenting. Amanda and Ricky are our oldest ones. They're kind of headstrong, like their mother. <laughs> Caleb and Brittany, easygoing, like their dad. <laughs> now, now, if you believe that one, let me tell you something. <laughs> she, she's like, I'm going to have to dodge. She's going to throw something at me. <laughs> she said, she said, lightning going to come through. <laughs> truth, is, truth is, they all had a little bit of both of us in them, good and bad, and they all needed a tailored approach. And now our two oldest have children, and it's the same deal. There's nine grandkids, nine different personalities. But when it's all said and done, how many of you know that we're all still family? Amen? And the in-laws as well. We all strive to love each other. And so in the same way, there are going to be some people in the body of Christ that give us no trouble. They come out of what I call the, the Father's Knows Best sitcom. You ever remember that show, Father's Knows Best? where in half hour all the problems are solved. They don't give you no issues, uh, and that's great. They, but there are some who are going to come in, and they, they're, they're, they're like the Adams family or, or the monsters <laughs> with the crazy uncle living in the cellar. Now, could I just say, as a kid growing up, I love the monsters. It just cracked me up watching that show. And so... What is God asking us to commit to? He said, they shall know we are Christians by our love for one another. And so our commitment needs to be to each other. And drop the labels. And drop all the nonsense. Because God expects us, no matter what side of the tracks we live on, where we were born or raised, what color, what... What, what, what language we speak, whether you speak English or Spanish or Patois. He expects us to love each other. Galatians 6.2, read it out loud with me. One, two, go. By helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. These are the three areas we need to show more of a commitment in. Our commitment to God. Our commitment to growth. And our commitment to each other. What say you? Are you willing to make that commitment? Because when we don't, that wrecking ball not only destroys our family, but it blows up our Christian community as well. And the truth is, God is not asking us to do what he hasn't done for us. He was not just involved when it came to you and I and our salvation. How many know he was committed? All in. All in. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died. In other words, he didn't wait for us to get our act together. He says we were still out there doing our own thing. That's when he says, I love them. I'm going to commit myself to doing what I have to. That's what Gethsemane was all about. Father, please take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done. Let your will be done. The cup of suffering, the cup of sacrifice, he did it all for us. Goes on to say, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, Adam, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Jesus. Adam blew it for everybody. Jesus purchased the opportunity for every single person who put their faith in him. That one act of righteousness will bring justification to all men, all men who want it. That is that act of righteousness. Christ dying on the cross, three days later, raising from the dead. And if you and I will repent and believe and make a commitment to him, he says, we shall be saved. We shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. Say it again, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, save me. And so as we come to a close today, where are you in your commitment? Have you made that commitment to the Lord? Not one of convenience. I'll follow you today, but now things are not happening the way I want them to and so I'm not following him anymore no he says I want you to go all in for me the same way I went all in for you Jesus what's the greatest commandment to love the Lord thy God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and the second is like the first to love your neighbor as yourself are you committed to that and to doing things God's way? That's my challenge this year. Let's continue to move forward in that area. But it all starts with have you given and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the one who gave it all for us? If you haven't, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. It's not hard. It's just about Rendering, rending your heart and not your garments. God sees our heart. He knows those who are serious. So if you've not yet done that, it would be my privilege to lead you in a prayer. Let's everyone bow our heads and close our eyes. And say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I humble myself. And I acknowledge that I've blown it in many areas of my life. I've not always done what I'm supposed to have done. I've gotten involved in things that I should not have. My thoughts, my attitudes have not always been right. And for that, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I recognize that I cannot save myself. It's not based on how good I am, but it's based on how good you are and what you've done through your son, Jesus. 
I believe what the Word of God says, that Adam messed it up, but in Jesus you purchased the opportunity to be right with you for all men. Today, I put my faith in Jesus. Come into my life, Lord. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, with your power. Today, I surrender all to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.